all got that voice in our head that tells us we can't do stuff. But some people are just better at not listening to it. And by sitting down with those people, asking them questions, and then you know, recording it and blasting it out on the internet, perhaps, maybe, I can help other people like me get out of our own way. Hey guys, welcome back to Closure Optional. My guest this week is Adrian Franklin. He runs a, a business called The Arrows Method, which is designed mostly to help men figure out how to get through their own bullshit to be um, sort of more resilient, comfortable, relaxed in themselves so that they can be better people for other people around them. Uh, in the process of uh, developing this business, he also is a practitioner, I guess you can call that. Um, well, whatever he does, he has open relationships. He does what they call polyamory. And this is a new, um, I don't I don't know, I don't want to call it trendy, but it feels a bit trendy to me. I don't know. There's a thing going on where um, people are exploring different options besides a monogamous relationship. And there are a lot of people that I greatly respect and admire their work and what they've done in their lives, and they are polyamorous people. Um, there's a great book about this called Sex at Dawn, and it's written by a guy called Chris Ryan. And he, the book is basically a look at the evolutionary biology of a human being and how it shows that we probably shouldn't be monogamous, that our biology kind of tells us that we were designed to be polyamorous, meaning that we all have multiple partners all the time. Uh, he researches also different tribes around the world, different people that aren't indoctrinate, indoctrinated into the Western culture of uh, you know, your standard Judeo-Christian marriage uh, union thing and done some analysis on how people are, if they're happier or less happy or whatever in these different circumstances. It's a really, really interesting book. And he kind of likes to equate us to being animals inside a zoo that don't know that we're inside a zoo, and we keep running up against the walls of this cage. And if we just kind of acknowledge that we were in a cage, maybe we could make better use of the cage and the space that we're in. Um, it, it, it makes sense to me on a theoretical level, but on a personal level, I don't know how the fuck these guys do it. There's some schools of thought where people think that it's just um, hedonistic, um, which means, you know, you're just kind of gratifying your primal carnal desires. It's the same thing as just fucking sitting down and eating a giant pizza and then a chocolate cake and just laying, I don't know, masturbating all day. You know, just the idea that you just completely give in to all of your physical desires and, uh, and then on the other side, the people that actively do this, and I've only met a few of them, they believe that it's a path towards growing, getting rid of insecurity. You know, any of that bullshit insecurity that you've got inside yourself that you think that if your partner goes and has sex with someone else that you're suddenly not good enough. Um, I don't know, man. I, there's logic to it, but fuck. I, I just don't know. I haven't seen an example of it where it works well enough. I haven't known anybody well enough, but if any of you out there listening to this have done this successfully and 
have an idea on how it works, I'd love to talk to you more about it. I will be getting Victoria Smith back on the podcast. She is actually the one who put me in touch with Adrian, and it was I was curious to get a man's perspective on a similar thing, and she's coming back onto the podcast after I do her women's self-pleasure circle or the old circle jerk uh, in November. So uh, I'll check in back after the circle jerk and also with Victoria, and we'll talk a little bit more about her version of how polyamory works. Um, but for now, this is a great conversation with Adrian, and he talks a little bit about, uh, he talks a lot about how he helps kind of men get over their anxiety, but then we get into the depths of um, what it's like to be polyamorous. And unfortunately, he's just had a little bit of a breakdown of one of his polyamorous relationships, so this was a very raw time. When I first talked to him, he was really excited about talking about polyamory, and this time he was feeling a little bit overwhelmed because he was dealing with a lot of heartbreak and chaos that comes with the end of a relationship that you're in love with somebody. And fuck, I felt for him because it's hard to watch somebody who um, you know genuinely really loves someone and is trying to deal with the theory in his head that he shouldn't be attached to someone, but at the same time his very real and natural feelings of wanting to be attached to someone he loves. So anyways, hope you enjoy the conversation. Uh, Just before I get to the conversation, just wanted to say thank you again to everybody uh, for your feedback on the podcast. It's, um, I, last week I did a podcast by myself because I had, didn't have a guest and it was really fun. I really like doing it, and I think I will probably do a bit more of that in the future. Um, seems like people enjoyed it and got something out of it, so that's really good. Um, other topics that I know a thing or two about are any of the books that I'm reading. And um, if anybody's got any suggestions of things that they want to know more about, um, let me know, and I will be happy to figure out who to talk to to get that information right. Um, oh, lastly, uh, I have reinvigorated a Patreon page that I started a, a couple years ago when I um, was making some artwork. And I've been embarrassed about uh, having a Patreon page because I, I don't know why it's embarrassing to ask people to help you work on stuff that you care about. Most of the time, I just feel like if if my podcast was good enough, people would just want to support it. But I, what I'm realizing is that you really have to kind of be a bit vulnerable and ask for some help. Um, what the pod, what the Patreon page is, is just a way that you guys can uh, contribute to the podcast if you like what you hear and if you think it's interesting, if you think it's worthwhile. For the cost of buying me a coffee a month, you can help support the podcast. And all the money that I make on that Patreon page goes back into the podcast itself. And what my aim is is to try and do some live podcasts in the next uh, few months where we all – get together in a public place, have some drinks, have a laugh, and uh, listen to some music, um, and then have a cool conversation. All of that obviously will be recorded and will go out, but then also you can come out and hang out in real life and ask some questions and talk. So that's what I want to do out of this. Um, So if you feel uh, so inclined, by all means, please do head over to the Patreon page. That will help me out a lot. And if not, if you can't afford it or you don't feel like it or you don't want to, no problem. If you like the podcast, please tell your friends, share it around, like it on fucking iTunes or wherever, and subscribe to it. I don't know. Um, thank you heaps for listening. Hope you have a great week. And here it is, Adrian Frank. Hi, Adrian. 
Hello, Lorna. How are you? I'm good. <laughs> You're like, I'm mostly good. I'm mostly good, yeah. <laughs> yep. <laughs> uh, thank you so much for coming in to do oh, the welcome. podcast. I really appreciate it. Thanks um, for having me. Yeah. So your, um, your thing that you do, you call it the Eros Method. Yeah. And that's the Greek god Eros, I imagine. Mm-hmm. What's he known for? He's a god of love and sexual attraction. Okay. Mm. And what's the Eros Method? That is a way for people um, focusing on men at the moment to cultivate their own sense of self-love. Mm. And by doing so, they create the love that they want in their life. So other people uh, become loving to them and other people are sexually attracted to them because on the inside, they've got that going on. They've got the love, they've got the sexual uh, flow and attraction happening for themselves. Yeah. So they're full, you know, and they've got, they've got abundance within themselves and then that creates the love they want rather than looking for that love outside of themselves. Yeah, to like fill the, fill the fucking tank from the outside in, you're trying to fill it from the inside out. Yeah. It's like that old adage, the thing that everyone says, like you got to love yourself before anyone else will love you. Yeah, that's but right. I always take um, issue with that phrase because I feel like there's a couple reasons why I don't understand it. And it's just like, and it's maybe because I am at a default kind of self-loathing and not in a, and I think probably for a long time I thought it was like cool or, or cute to be self-loathing. Like, ah, I'm just a piece of shit. I'm a fuck up. And this is why I spent a lot of time drinking. I did. I, I never had um, drug abuse problems by any means, but I just fucking avoided my life as much as I possibly could by drinking and taking drugs and shit because I have this constant narrative inside my head that I am a piece of shit. You know, like I just have, and and at first I thought that that was cool and that was okay because it made me make better artwork, you know, like, oh, I'm just a suffering artist. But really at the end of the day, it became this constant narrative that I'm not good enough. I'm gross. And then immediately, obviously, as you say, I'm just repelling other people. So when I take issue with that, like, you got to love yourself, it seems so corny Mm. to me. Like, I just Mm -hmm. don't get it. it. It seems like it's bullshit. Mm. You know, I feel like people are lying when they're like, I just <laughs> love myself. I'm like, oh, do you? <laughs> yeah. No, this is very different. That when you, with the, when you use that, um, that kind of voice saying, I, I just love myself, it sounds like it's an ego thing. Like yeah. I, I really love who I am and what I look like and what I do and like all these external things that yeah. like, um, the person is defining themselves with rather than actually feeling you know, that feeling of contentment mm. and satisfaction and, like, their needs are met, the person that has all that stuff doesn't really need to say. And how do you that be they, that person? Yeah. Like, how do you do that? That's the, Authentically. That's the tr- that is the – that's a great question and that's <laughs> what I have been working so hard on discovering. Um, and I've pretty much created a system where – that is guaranteed to happen. So, and that it's all about, firstly, we need to connect to ourselves. Mm, mm. Feel that inside, which is saying, I feel like a piece of shit. And I've had that in my life. I've, in my twenties, I was beating myself up. You know, I'm not good enough. I'm not man enough. I, yeah, yeah. Um, there's something wrong with me. And I, I actually got off on feeling like that. I got off on hating myself. Yeah, I feel like that's probably a little bit of what's going on in me, yeah. It's like it, it almost makes you feel like you're different, 
or something, you know, some fucking stupid thing. Like I'm, I'm interesting because mm. I hate myself. Yeah. And it makes, and also like, I know a lot of comedians that are like that because it makes life, it makes it funnier for them. Like that they're like, it's not funny to have your shit together. It is way funnier to be a piece of shit, you know? Yeah. It makes you more relatable, right? Because right, yeah. so many people feel like they, they are a piece of shit, but they'll never say it, but they just feel like mm, maybe there's something wrong with me or, yeah. you know, and like to, to lower yourself to that level and speak from that place and, and resonate and connect with people on that level, it releases that tension. Yeah. They, they, they laugh because it's like, oh, I, I get it, you know. Oh, yeah, I, I, I'm a piece of shit that. too. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I think that sort of really connects to um, the truth of how a lot of people feel, unfortunately, because there's a lot of depression, there's a lot of anxiety, mm. um, there's a lot of fucked up things happening in the world that, um, take people right off their center, right off their ability to connect to themselves and and love themselves. And what what kind of stuff is it that like takes people off mostly? Emotions, yeah. Beliefs, shadows, blocks, past, future projections of the past. Fuck, man. I know they're gnarly, huh? Yeah. It's just like this irrational belief that everything was, because something was one way once, it's always going to be that way in the future. Mm -hmm. But they're hard ones to combat because you're like, well, but all the evidence suggests that it was like that in the past. So, of course, it's going to be like that in the future. And those are tough things to deal with. So, you basically are kind of helping men see where their irrational beliefs and thought patterns are getting in their way and then help them kind of clear them out? Yeah. So I find in themselves, in their bodies, in their mind, what stories they're carrying around about themselves from the past Yeah. and what they're currently carrying around presently, connect them to that, get them to create a shift. Like So if you imagine like a glow stick, right, and it's straight, and it's not glowing and it's yeah. just stiff and you can shake it around a bit and move it but it's not going to glow until you snap it. Yeah. Once you snap it and you snap that structure that it was and you shake it up, it starts to glow. Yeah. So, so what's happening there, if I'm using that to, um, as an analogy for oh, a metaphor for the, um, the human central nervous system where it's stuck in its patterns yeah. and these stories – that run constantly over and over and over and create that person, you know, that's, that's what that person becomes. So to get in there and to snap that neurology a bit, break it up and shake it around, using the body as a tool to, to do that, using wow. the body as a, as a tool, like a leverage point to, to get in there and change all of that pattern up. So would you say that your, that your unconscious patterns are held in your body? Like these neurological yeah, beliefs and patterns. It's a whole system. It's not just the mind, uh-huh. and that's a, that's the problem with what a lot of cognitive therapists um, run into is they reach a limit with what the person can do with their mind, what they can think about to try and change their patterns. When the whole person is what's creating that person, that, mm. that person, that story. The mind and the body are one. Yeah, and those patterns go all the way down through all of the all of the centers all the energy centers starting with the mind the throat the heart yeah. the stomach the sex center they're all connected and there's all patterns running through the entire body that mm. can be changed on a on a small scale so how do you get somebody connected like do you have an example of the types of emotions and where they're being carried in people's bodies that you seem to notice? Like where typically do men seem to have the most blockage 
physically and emotionally? And are they related to yeah, each other? Yeah, so there's the stomach is a massive one. There's a lot of a lot of people carry anxiety and fear in their stomach. Okay. And to connect to that feeling that a lot of them are trying to hide from, that they cover up with alcohol mm. or drugs or sex or whatever it is, all of those those emotions, those fears, those anxieties that are stored in the stomach get muted. So they get they get pushed down and covered up. So one okay. of the first things I do with guys that I feel like they're 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 hiding from something or they're running from something is to get them to move their stomach. Huh. Get and them to get them to physically move their body in a way that activates their core while focusing on those emotions. Wow. Will we'll, we'll release We'll, it will release those emotions. It will crack yeah. that glow stick. Maybe not initially. It won't, maybe it won't like um, completely snap the whole thing, but it'll make a little crack and through yeah. that crack the glow will start to flow. And, yeah, you're starting and then, to get yeah, it moving. Once you, once you crack it, then you can actually you can use it and you can, you can build on that and allow massive outpouring from just oh. a small change wow so you know similar like uh, simple things like a core type exercise sit-ups type of thing or you know like more focused intention or yeah more focused on like um how does the body want to move when it wants to express that emotion ah okay so if it's anger it might be like bashing something bashing something up like just hitting pillows or something or um Dancing angrily, stomping the feet. Okay. What does angry look like? Ah, so you manif- you try to make it a character, like a physical. It may take that. Yeah. If huh. if a guy is not really in tune with his emotions, huh. it may take forcing him into like forcing himself into doing that, dem- like demonstrating what that looks like to actually then connect to what it actually feels like. Oh, that's funny. Wow. Um, what kind of like typical emotions do you find are running across the board for most men like around your age that are struggling with this shit? Anxiety, massively, and Why anxiety? Shame. Where does that anxiety come from for most of them? The past. It's about loss. So they're... Yeah. they're They've had a number of losses in their life that has built up in their body and so that pattern that they've created as a story in their past is what they're carrying around with them, that, that anything that happens in a similar vein is going to cause a loss so they're anxious about losing something. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Losing money, losing a girlfriend, losing their yeah. body fitness or any of that. Mm. So it's a, it could be um, about it, it's, it's a perceived loss of something that's going to happen in the future based on what's happened in the past. Yeah, just yeah. repeating patterns, they think. Mm. Huh. And, and it's funny too because without doing any kind of introspective work on yourself, you do tend to repeat those patterns. And it is like, it's like fucking Groundhog Day. Oh, I've got this situation like, oh, okay, I've met a girl, I've talked to her, she seems interested, and then within two weeks she seems bored and she's pulling away and I do the same thing and I get mad and I shut down and I leave. And then it's over. And then it's like, fuck, all right, now i got to restart again, try again. And it's, it is, it's like that constant nonstop repeating pattern. And so how, um, so when you get somebody to start working with you, do you find that, um, it's hard for them to get to the core of their anxieties? It can be. It depends how much work they've done on themselves. Yeah, so some okay. guys are super easy to coach. Like I'll just have them do like a visualization, um, 
and they can quite easily see that it's uh, this person or this event or some other something in their life that they can actually visualize in their mind and then they can actually feel it in their body so they can visualize where that feeling is in their body okay and so they can actually bring their awareness down into their body and connect to the emotion there huh um other guys are just so disconnected from <laughs> from their body and their emotion they're, and they're so stuck in their head and oh, they're, they're yeah. just running these patterns of of like um they're, they're worried about stuff. They're just worried about work or they're worried about a girl or they're, they're worried about something and they run these these patterns. They're just like these um, thoughts that just continually bounce around in their head yeah. over and over and over. The energy is so stuck in their head and it's it's like it's almost all in their head. So the energy is just really high up in their body. Yeah, man. And it disconnects them from the rest of the body that's lower down. Yeah, and do you notice, and so you, you deal a little bit with like sexual performance stuff, but this isn't just sexual performance. I mean, this is across the board, just overall general well-being for these guys. Yeah. I know that feeling, man. I know exactly that feeling. When I'm stuck in my head, I, it's like I find it harder to walk, harder to move, harder to do anything because my body isn't working and I'm just completely lost and distracted and up inside my head. It's a horrible feeling. That's not where we're designed to be sitting. No. It's awful. It's a... Uh, it's called the white man's disease in some circles. Yeah. Oh, I bet. Yeah. <laughs> like we got too much time to think about shit because we're too busy. We've already killed everybody yeah, else. Yeah. <laughs> They're still fighting us off and we're sitting there going, hmm, I don't feel so good about this, but I'm going to push that down. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's <laughs> this society, you know, we're so, we're so heady as a society. We've got so much technology and we're all like in our computer screens all the time, in our yeah. phones. Yeah, man. And that's totally disconnecting ourselves from our bodies. Mm. You know, keeping us in our heads. Do you have like a, a quick, easy exercise that people can do? Like if they're just listening to this and they're like, fuck, I know exactly that feeling and I'd like to just try and figure out what my body feels like. Do you have like a little meditation that you could tell people that they could do? Yeah, put the phone down. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Stop listening to the just, podcast. Yeah, just close your eyes and breathe deeply and allow those breaths to become deeper and deeper and slower and slower and just feel the changes in the body yeah okay as they're happening that's so simple that will bring someone into their body and the moment they start thinking about their phone again uh-huh. it'll you know it'll take them out of that moment so it's it's about practice it, it is it's like flexing a muscle isn't it like every time you hear that that voice being like yeah but i'm bored it's like no you're not bored feel your feet again i list, i i uh, used to have this amazing uh, meditation that i used to do where i just lay in there um I, you could just be driving a car really I, ideally not driving sitting in the passenger seat but where you think about the inside of your toes like what do the <laughs> inside of my toes feel like and then what do the Great. inside of my feet feel like mm. and you slowly work your way up i think actually a lady that taught me this i used to do like modern dance that was something she'd have us start with was just this feeling of like slowly getting in touch with your body and mm. then you slowly work your way all the way up to your whole mm. top of your body and there are definitely i i can kind of understand what you mean cuz there are points in my body that i just skip past mm-hmm. And I was just working with a client this morning on um, doing elbows because I teach Muay Thai. So um, elbows are one of the main weapons that we use. And she was like, I just don't feel very good. I don't know what I'm doing here. I don't feel very connected. I feel like I'm brain dead. 
And I was like, you are technically brain dead in your elbows because when was the last time you thought about using your elbow for anything? Your entire life since you were born, you grabbed things with your hand. So when you were thinking about spatial differentiation, like if that thing is this far away and I need to hit it, you know the distance between your fingertips and that thing. You're used to that. You make micro calculations constantly all day to not run into the door frame to be able to pick something up. These are like incredibly complex neurological calculations. But now try and touch it with your elbow. And when you do that, it feels, everything feels wrong because you're like, wait, I, I don't even know how far away my elbow is from my head, how far away my elbow is from something else. You don't have no idea. But so then with this, with repetitive practice of constantly touching something with your elbow and trying to hit the pad with the elbow, eventually your brain like maps a little area inside it that goes, this is what it's like to touch with an elbow. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> it's cool. I love huh? that, yeah. And I didn't really realize that. I was just kind of looking at it and I was like, oh yeah, well, this is why. This is why you can't touch things with your elbow because you've never done it before. We only ever hit things with our elbow on accident and then we get upset about it because it hurts. <laughs> <laughs> but the, um, but so when I was doing this kind of um, that sort of meditation where I'm moving the energy up or like m moving my attention, I suppose, up from the inside of my toes all the way up to my knees and um, all the way up. There are definitely areas where there's no feeling, no sensation. I can't fill it with anything. And I talked to Victoria about this a little bit who put me in touch with you. And it's there is something deeply missing in my general region all the way down here and through my belly and through my womb if that's the right area. And then I can feel in my heart really strongly. I've always felt really strongly, like all my anxiety, everything lives in my heart. So you were saying before that anxiety tends to live in men's bellies. And I don't know if women and men are the same. Do you think women and men generally carry their anxiety both in their belly? Hmm, it's hard to say. Everyone's a bit different. Like I know um, from my own experience, I've had a lot of fear in my stomach at times, but also... Um, Fear, it depends because like what I've had fear around, when I've had fear around relationships and around love, it's been in my heart. Yeah. So I've had anxiety about um, losing lovers um, and that could cause, that causes me to close up my heart a bit. So yeah. the, my shoulders get hunched over and I, yeah. I close my posture off and I drop my chin and my throat covers up. And that's been a pattern for a long time. And cracking that open requires getting into the heart space and opening up the heart. Yeah, letting um, people see it. And yet I still have a lot of um, fear about just different things in my stomach. Huh, okay. Well, that kind of makes sense. So the fear, depending on where the, what the fear is related to, it might mm. appear in a different part of your body. Yeah. That's a good insight to have too because I don't generally tend to have much fear in my belly. Okay. Hardly ever. I rarely feel it there, but I always feel it in my chest. And I think, uh, like we were talking about just before we turned the microphones on, like my, I have always had this need to make stuff, like make artwork, thinking that, you know, somehow it's going to impress my dad or it's going to give me that validation. And then it's like, uh, that's that feeling of aching. Whenever I have this feeling of like loss and aching, it's always in my chest. I feel like something right in the center of my chest, there's a deep pit in there that needs some filling. And it probably absolutely comes down to the fact that I thought it was cool to hate myself for most of my life. Mm. So I don't have any of that internal love. There's no internal self-love going on. I'm working on it, definitely. And the, the more I do things that give me meaning, 
you know, like being able to have cool conversations like this and just figuring out how to put it in the world. It's not about me necessarily. It's about the process of unfolding, connecting to other people and then giving ideas to other people to think about. I mean, that's a fucking beautiful thing. It's an incredible thing that the internet allows us mm. to do. I, I just, I'm mind blown by it. But so that feeling like that most of my fear usually does sit just there in my chest, like that there is wherever there is lacking in my life, it seems to be lacking in the world of love. Mm. And also it seems to be the most important thing in the world to me. Mm. That is something that I've been dealing with recently. Yeah. Is feeling like that needs to be filled yes. before it can overflow and outpour. Yeah, yeah, before it can go out. And unfortunately, recently I've been using other people and lovers to expect that to be filled. So trying to get that filling from others. Yeah. And it's just caused me heartbreak. It's caused others heartbreak. Yeah. Man. And it's it's quite uh it's unsustainable. Mm-hmm. It's narcissistic. It's selfish. It's just all the things that cause love to stop in the end. Yeah, cuz you need it to be something. You need you it's all it's again like you're talking about that feeling of loss. It's cuz you're grabbing onto something. You're needing to hold it. Like Alan Watts has a great uh, analogy for oh, this yeah. where he says you can't hold your breath. Right. You need breath to survive. We need love to survive, but you can't hold it cuz right. if you hold it, you suffocate it and you die. Mhm. In the same way that your breath, it's life-giving force. You take that big, deep breath in, but as long as you hold on to it, you're going to die. Mm, yeah, that's absolutely right. And you've got to breathe out as well. So yeah. breathing in all the time, breathing that love in all the time, yeah. you're going to you know, you're going to oxygenate your brain and you're going <laughs> to pass out. So, um, And then holding on to it as well, you're going to starve yourself. Yeah. And then when the real, ma- the real magic is the balancing all of that with the out-breath and the love pouring out and going to others yeah. unselfishly and yeah, being man. that love that you so much, that you so seek, you, you, you're so hungry to get it from other people and actually being that beacon, that beacon of love that gives the love that, puts that it other out. people are so wanting. Yeah. yeah. Well, and that's like that, that weird feeling that comes from doing a charitable act or doing something kind for somebody else. The fucking gross thing about it is that social media, everyone's like, look at me feeding the homeless. Hashtag, I'm a good person. It's like, mm. oh, fuck yourself. That's it. All that is, that's the difference of what we were just talking about before is like either that's your ego telling you that this is an attachment. This is an attachment. I'm a good person. This is just another label that I can stick onto my head because I fed a homeless person. And it's so patronizing and so fucking gross to be that person because mm. it, it's not authentic, obviously. It's got nothing to do. We like that sensation of feeling good. We, ha- we get a feeling when we do something kind for someone else, you get this outpouring of love that's incredible. So, But the problem is, is that when we need other people to see that and validate that and bounce that back to us, that's where we fuck up. And it was, it's the same concept with artwork, with doing anything. Like if I, I watch people who make videos or do stand-up or any kind of creative endeavor. And the more attuned to this I'm becoming, the more clear it is to see when somebody's doing something to validate themselves and when somebody's doing something because they're trying to produce something of interest. You know, there's a really big difference between the two of them. And I think in the age of social media where we've become really 
uh, narcissistic. We become really self-focused because we're, first of all, we've commodified ourselves that the number of likes or the number of follows or the number of fucking whatever mm-hmm. is a beak, is a actual count measure yes. for how effective you're being, which is fucking bullshit. Mm-hmm. Because it's not necessarily the truth. How effective you're being at what you're doing is probably the better beacon is whether or not you feel filled with love or not. And I don't and, even know if and love whether is you the can right give, word. Whether the amount of love that you feel full of is with, whether you can you feel like you're giving that much as well. Right. Yeah. yeah. That like that 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 little tank, your little um, tank, uh, like gas tank in the inside of you, is being filled up from your actions from the inside out, and that it wouldn't matter. It would be. Wouldn't matter if people liked your photo or didn't like your photo or whatever the fuck it was. That feeling that you get the day that you go to the homeless shelter and you just do something because it feels fucking great to take care of people for a little bit. That's the feeling. That's the feeling. That that thing will last with you for a long time. And you'll want to do it again because it feels good to do that. Hmm. The gross part is when you make it become a drug. Right. It's the difference between like having a genuine, authentic connection and then shooting up heroin. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Because mm-hmm. one of them just will soothe the ache for a little while and then it fades away. The other one is like, wow, that thing, this felt powerful. Mm-hmm. And it kind of does feel like nourishing for a long time. Mm. Um, so I did want to talk to you about this a little bit because you are you're involved in polyamory. And so you've been um, trying to fucking navigate those crazy shores. Yep. And obviously recently you've had some trouble with yes. it. Yep. And I would love to hear more mm. about that as much as you feel like talking about it because um, it awfully it sounds awfully well and good on the surface, but fuck, I can't imagine <laughs> the kind of pain you guys would go through trying to deal with. I get it. Like, I totally get it. And for anybody who doesn't know what I'm talking about, polyamory means that you have multiple partners. Mm-hmm. And both people have multiple partners. It's not just men mm-hmm. having sex with m- multiple girls and one girl that, mm-hmm. like the Mormons, you know, <laughs> I don't think they quite got it right. Yeah. <laughs> but that idea that a- anybody can have sex with anybody, but do you have like one partner that is your partner and then multiple other relationships or how does it work? That's, I think that's the most sustainable, but what, what I did, what happened to me, okay, so was I fell in love with this beautiful woman, this amazing woman who we saw each other every now and then on like personal development retreats and stuff at the start of, uh, at the end of last year. Our, our attraction for each other built really gradually. Yeah. And it was on a retreat. It's a, it was a shadow tantra retreat, which is, is basic. It's a tantra. What is that? Okay. So it's a tantra retreat. It's about connecting, uh, intimately with other people or connecting sensually, I should say. So you're just saying it's a swingers retreat. <laughs> <laughs> it's a little classier than a swingers retreat. An orgy? Not at all. <laughs> okay. So, and these are great. These are great personal development retreats that, that wait, anyone so Wait, you've got to tell me more about this shit because yeah. like, I'm so curious about how the fucking, <laughs> like, what does that even mean? Okay, so it just means, do? so anyone can be sensual with another human being that they're not um, that they don't actually have to be intimate with. So they don't have to have a sexual connection or anything. You can just explore touch with another person. You can explore holding hands. And how does it feel to hold a stranger's hand? How does it feel to yeah, okay. um, touch another person that you don't really know that well and just touch them lightly on the arm and 
How does that feel to receive that as well? Wow. Well, I mean, <laughs> you know, I mean, that's, that's groundbreaking for some people to, to actually be sitting across from another person where you don't know them. Yeah, yeah. But you've made a connection, you've made eye contact, you've introduced yourself Fuck. and you ask, may I touch you on the arm? And you touch the other person on the arm in a way that they, they, they like, that they desire or they request a certain that you touch them a certain way on the arm. Okay. And there's all these different ways you can play with that. You can you can ask for them to touch you in a certain way, or you can um, you can say, "I would like you to touch my arm in a way that is pleasurable for you." Yeah. Okay. Okay. So <laughs> if you look at that as like the the basic, the like one of the most basic exercises that you can do at these retreats. You can build on that and you can, you can go a little bit further each time. Yeah, it, okay. It's a really safe place. It's, really, it's not like you're sitting there one minute, you're, someone's touching your arm and then the next minute like they're grabbing your boobs. Or, you yeah, know, yeah, yeah. It's not, it's, it's not like that. People, most people don't go there for that kind of thing. It, it's more like there's a lot of anxiety. There's a lot of nervousness. Oh, yeah, that, it's already through. making me, my skin yeah? crawl. It fucking freaks me out. <laughs> it's crazy, man. But it's all consensual. No one's ever going to do anything that they don't want to do. Right. You can walk away at any moment. And if you're a good person, <laughs> you know, you're not a psychopath. <laughs> you don't go around, you know, crossing boundaries yeah. all the time. Wow. And so how does the format of it go? Like you, you, everybody gets there, they have like a, co- a teacher or a facilitator that kind of guides yeah. you through certain exercises and they go, okay, pair up with somebody or mm-hmm. is it just like whoever you're sitting next to or? Yeah, both, all of it. Yeah, all of so it. And then they change all the time so you're with different people the whole. Yeah, that's one of the exercises. Um, it's called a puja. So basically you have everyone sit in a circle and then you have another circle outside of that. So everyone's facing each other. There's two circles, one inside the other. Yeah. And you, you do an exercise and then you shift. And then the oh, other yeah. person does a, a thing with that person that, you know, you just keep rotating around the circle. Huh. And um, Do you ever have moments where you like, or with someone that you were like, yeah, this is awesome. And then the next person comes and you're like, ugh, I don't want to <laughs> Yes. <you."> <laughs> yep, <laughs> what, how that, do you deal with that? <laughs> that's where the growth lies. I bet. Yeah, fuck. Because in my past, I've been really, really reserved with who I get. Um, intimate with yeah I've been really picky and choosy and these these kind of events these retreats these exercises have really helped me break through that barrier of having everything to be perfect before I move forward yeah so I can be sitting with someone who I have like no attraction to whatsoever and just start exploring giving that person some affection like touching their face gently touching their arm, looking mm. into their eyes lovingly and generating that attraction, generating that love in myself. Fake just, it till you make it. Yeah, that's what <laughs> happens, man. So it just happens. It's, it's odd. You know, sometimes you just don't think there's going to be wow. anything and then it, it just starts building. It's like, wow, I actually can show love and affection to this person that I didn't think I could Good. do. And do you get it on the other side? Do people look at you? Like do you get the sensation someone sits to you, next to you and they go, oh, gross. <laughs> Can't yeah. say I've paid attention to it. To yeah, be honest. if you did, just repressed it, blocked it away. Yeah, just, um, come uh, from love, and no, it's all good. I respect everything that you know they're yeah, go- that they're going through. Because that's one thing, man. It is really easy to be like, 
I like always thought about this. Like, oh, it's super easy to meditate when there's no chaos going on in my life. Because, like, you know, when you're having a good day and you're like, yeah, fucking everything's great, everything's positive, I'm on fire. And then you have a bad day and then you're like, um, why can't I do that? Yeah. Why can't I be in that space? So I get it. Like, I understand why it makes sense to put yourself in a situation where, because it's super easy to be affectionate towards someone you want to be affectionate towards. Yeah. Yep. Ooh, that'd be hard mm-hmm. not to. Like, because mm-hmm. I'm, I, yeah, I, I am the same as you. Like, I've relied on alcohol every time I needed to uh, be affectionate towards anybody. I'm really an, an affectionate person because I need it back. Like, I love to touch other people. I really love it and love getting it back. But I've always been really unhealthy with it because I. I just needed to be drunk to get over that kind of fear of mm. the rejection of it or whatever it was. Mm. Then if I get hammered drunk, then I can just hook up with whoever. And then obviously the shame and fucking mm. bullshit that comes behind mm. it is awful, man. It's mm. awful. And I don't understand why sex is so shameful. Why do you think it feels so shameful? I think there's a lot of shame still put onto us by our upbringing. Our yeah. society, yeah. we've had, you know, we had a generation of um, parents who've, whose whose parents were very, I would say, I wouldn't use the word frigid, but very um, reserved. Yeah. Sexually showing showing affection in public. I know my parents were very. Uh, mm, my my parents. Okay, <laughs> I'm just thinking. I just, I just want to. Um, come from love when I speak about my folks because I love them so much. But when I was growing up, I didn't really see a lot of love um, and affection in the way that I like to show. I didn't see that between them yeah. so much. They were quite reserved. Yeah. Um, they would kiss on the cheek. They would kiss on the lips. Um, I never saw them lying down with one, any, with one another staring into each other's eyes like, Saying loving things and oh god, it'd be horrible to see. <laughs> right, <laughs> but that's what we think, and that's the sort of that's the disgust, I guess, that we've internalized around yeah. around sex. Oh, totally. And it's it's quite it's a hard thing to work through because to ima- it, it, people people who catch their parents in the act constantly, I did it right? constantly. Right, I've seen my parents have sex more than any human should ever <laughs> ever. <laughs> it was fucking awful. Really. <laughs> I, it never happened to me. Oh Not my god! It, oh, it was constant when I was growing up. Like my my house, there was something about my house where if I ever I had a party, even if my parents weren't there, like my parents were out of town or whatever, and we'd have a party. Everybody would end up hooking up with each other at my house. My house was always the one where like people broke into like everyone's making out with everyone and just mm. co- constantly doing whatever the fuck they're mm. doing because there was something about my house. My parents were very. Like, I've seen both of my parents naked more times than any human ever should. And, like, they just, it, it just wasn't a thing. Like, there was no shame about it. But what's weird is that my dad, my dad's uh, Scottish, and he grew up with uh, English and Scottish parents that were very, like, I don't know, Scottish, cold, you know, emotionally mm-hmm. cold. Mm-hmm. And so he's emotionally cold. Um, but, between the two of them, they were very just like open and free and whatever was going. And I had, um, I had my bedroom and their bedroom was upstairs and it was connected by a bathroom. The bathroom had a door on either side. So one of us could walk into one side of the bathroom, go to the bathroom while the other one uh, was in the bedroom. 
if our bedroom doors were closed, you would never know that my parents were walking into the bathroom. But if I walked in to go to the bathroom and they forgot to close their side of the door, their bed was next to the bathroom door. So I would walk in there. Just I just go in to go to the toilet and just see my parents fucking on their bed. Oh God! <laughs> uh, and, and I'd like go in. I'd just walk into their bedroom to grab something. They just look up at me, and both of them laying <laughs> on top of each other. And it was funny. It's not like I saw them like in motion. I think they'd see me coming before, but they just stop. And so this is like missionary position. Two people just staring. And I'm like, oh, what's going on? Okay, uh, I just need to grab this, and then I'll see you later. And, and it was just like this became common practice. I saw it constantly. Wow. And then my it became a thing at school that my my, you know, kids are such little assholes. But um, I was so ashamed of my parents having sex all the time because my friends talked about it all the time. And then, so then I was always like really embarrassed about it. And I would be, I would like make fun of my parents to my friends. And so sever that kind of nice family bond that I could have had. Instead, I disassociated from it because they were shameful to me, as all parents are embarrassing and stupid as you are growing up. Um, And I never really figured out how to, like, appreciate that. I just, I I was so embarrassed by it. Yeah. It's the shame coming from, not the shame wasn't coming from your parents. The shame was coming from your peer group. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. A lot of that. Because it was really abnormal for because my, my friends probably had a similar upbringing to you. They didn't see that very often. Mm. And so for me, I was like an alien. It was, mm. it was weird. Mm. I can't imagine that, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> it's not nice. <laughs> but that's funny. It's like, so even though we've had like opposite upbringings, we still have the same kind of shame. Mm. You know? Mm-hmm. It's just, I think it's collective. Mm-hmm. And we're definitely shifting now as a collective we're yeah. becoming more and more open sexually. It's like this. It's like the second sexual revolution, almost. Yeah, like, after after the sixties. What do you say to people that are like that would say it's lazy to be polyamorous because you're just not trying hard enough to oh, care about one person? You know, like you're just hedonistic. You're just feeding desires. Not only is it not lazy, it's the hardest fucking thing that I've ever done in my I, life. I bet. What makes it hard? What happens? When two people get together and they love each other and they form a mutual attraction, they have love, attachment happens. Attachment, they start to get attached to one another. And that normally that attachment um, in a monogamous relationship keeps the people together. Yeah. No matter how unhealthy that relationship is, if, they, if those two people become codependent on each other, then that overlap in their psych their psychs can be so strong that even when they're abusing each other emotionally or physically that attachment can be so strong and keep them in that position keep them in that relationship yeah and it keeps them from being able to separate from one another when that would be the best thing for them yeah that still happens in polyamory but because there's more options normally for someone to get their love, their, that attachment becomes more insecure. Yeah, yeah. And oh. so depending on like who's got the more attachment to the other can, can sort of, it, it has a really strong effect on which direction that relationship's going to go in. So if someone's got multiple partners, say multiple um, boyfriends, and then they attract a lover who's, who's single, then the attachment's going to be stronger 
with that single person for that other, for the one with multiple partners, because the multiple partners, the person with multiple partners has less, oh, sorry, they have more people in their life. So it's harder for them to get attached to any one particular person. Yeah. <clears throat> Whereas the single person, if they just have that one partner in their life, yeah, it's it really easy for them to get attached. Yeah. Yeah. Damn. So um, it works better if multiple people are still with multiple people. And and it, the most common one is that you have, as far as what I understand and what I've read about it, is that you have one that's like your life partner that you're you're mutually committed to, you know, like say buying a house with, having kids with, having a dog with, but you have multiple sex partners outside of that and people that you love in mm. addition to that one person. Is that right? It can look like that. It, I know there's there's people out there who are doing polyamory where it's just I'm going to have sex with whoever I want and as many people as I want and you're going to put up with it. Yeah. And that yeah. seems a little hedonistic to me. That right, one I yeah. struggle with. It's okay. not the way that I prefer to do polyamory. Okay. It's, it's hurtful. It's egotistical. It's narcissistic. Yeah, it's hedonistic, like you say. And then it ends up hurting more than it could be. Um, it could be a beautiful thing. But if, it, if it's just like a, I'm going to do whatever I want, I don't care about your feelings, that's fucked, man. That's like, I, I wouldn't want that on for anybody. Right, yeah. <clears throat> so what was the setup you had? So going back to um, how I met this uh, yeah. beautiful woman, I, we started seeing each other on these retreats and um, eventually started seeing each other more frequently. We started, falling, we started falling in love and she had a primary partner the whole time. Or still has a primary partner. And we were exploring physically and we're exploring uh, around our connection, our sexual connection without actually having sex. And so that on different, on like the Shadow Tantra retreat was where we first connected sexually. And I was very cautious and very aware of her primary partner and being very respectful and communicating all the way through whether this was going to be, um, you know, acceptable to the both of you and, like, really, really caring for was he the there? person. No, he wasn't. Yeah, okay. He wasn't. Um, and so we've, we played around a bit and I was very, very um, cautious and it wasn't until a few months later that I actually was hanging out with the both of them that when, that was when we first had sex. Ah, uh, okay. I didn't actually have sex with her until it was the three of us. And we were, it was very safe and it was almost like um, it was all cool and all okay with him and that's the way that I wanted to approach it and yeah, that's the okay. way we did it. And then from that, after that moment, um, we kind of built up our own relationship together and then we were starting to see each other um, independently of, of him and, but still the whole time being very respectful and communicating yeah, and um, being very open as yeah. much as possible. Fuck. And so you were you the single party in this where they were two? Yes. And did you have anyone else in your life at the time? I did initially. Yeah. I had okay. a couple of other lovers. Well, I had, yeah, I initially had two other lovers and then eventually one other lover and then eventually that lover moved away and so it was just, it was just her in my life. Yeah, so that's that thing you were talking mm. about. It's like they, she becomes the pinnacle, she becomes the only thing, so then that attachment gets stronger whether you want it to or not. Yeah, it was very insidious the way that it happened. Yeah. Um, and I kept telling myself that this is, this is the way I want it. I, I want to just 
work really hard on my career and not have a girlfriend to have to deal with all the girlfriend stuff and just have her come over every now and then and, you know, we make love and we share ideas and we share business ideas and we hang out and we do, ex, you know, retreats and stuff um, yeah. together and and we're also very good friends too, so, like, we're best friends and um, I was telling myself this works for me yeah. because I wanted so much time to just do my stuff and build my career and just see her periodically. But that wasn't true. Yeah, <laughs> man. I wanted on a deep, deep level... I wanted her all for myself. Yeah, man. And as you would do, that makes sense. It was really hard to, to admit. Fuck. That even just saying that now, mm. I don't think I've ever said that. Um, I think I might have said that to her once, and we were a little bit irresponsible with that because we kind of played into that energy. Yeah. A bit where it was like playing into the energy of, um, it's just us, and it, it kind of screwed with my head a bit because I. I willingly participated in that yeah. and I willingly said to myself that I'm going to have her one day. Yeah, man. And isn't that a funny thing where it becomes about possession? Because when you think about it, like I've got two girls in my life that are like my best friends, right? One of them I've known for over 10 years and I fucking love her to death. We lived together for a long time. She's like my sister. She's definitely become a sister to me. And now I live with a different girl here who is now another one of my best friends. We've grown really close to each other over the last three or four years. And now I live with her and I see her constantly. She's become a sister to me. My relationship with the other girl has not diminished in the slightest. I don't change anything the way I feel about her. I love her more than some of pretty much anybody in my mm -hmm. life. Mm -hmm. And the fact that I live with Melina and love Melina doesn't change how much I love Tracy. Do you know what I mean? So these two girls are huge parts of my life and they occupy equal space in my heart, regardless of how strong the bond is with either one of them. And what's weird about it is that when we talk about boyfriends, suddenly there has to be the one. And if I'm interested, if I am in love with one, then that diminishes my relationship with another one. And it's really odd to me. It's really confusing because I could have three more best friends and those girls, neither one of them would be mad at me for having more best friends. You know, it doesn't make any mm -hmm. sense because we can very clearly see that I love them both just the same. Mm-hmm. You know, mm. but then suddenly when it becomes a relationship, an intimate relationship with someone, all of a sudden you need to have them for your own. My brain was saying, I need some kind of confirmation that that's true for me too. Right. Because if right. I'm going to invest, if I'm going to continually open my heart to this woman, I, I want some kind of um, uh, security, I guess, in a way to know that whatever happens between us, we're committed to working it out and we're committed to being together as um, Yeah, because you don't want that lovers. loss. Right. It's like you, you that fear of loss is and and I'm the same way I would be sad if if Melina decided she wanted to move out and needed to be alone. Do you know? Like it would it would really hurt me. In the same way anytime you lose a friendship, it fucking sucks. But it and so you do want that. You want that kind of mutual commitment. Like I'm putting this energy into you, so I expect kind of a similar energy back. Mm. But that is, oh, man, that's tough. That's the tricky part because then if the other person doesn't want to feel ex like an expectation, then there's going to be a mismatch. Yeah. And that's the way that I feel like the way that I was communicating that was not landing properly and that was even just the way I was communicating was coming across as wanting to grab on and, and wanting to hold yeah. and, and restrict the freedom. 
and that's not what I wanted in the end, you know. I, I, well, I wanted not, to be free and, you know. It's not what you wanted to no, want, no, but you but, did want it. Like, right. th- isn't that the fucking thing? Because you can intellectualize it all day. You can be mm. like, yeah, no, I, it's cool. It's totally cool. You do what you want. But in the inside, you're like, fucking don't leave me. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know? Yep. And, and I'm just noticing myself saying that. It's like I I did want her. Yeah, man. You know? And it's like it's it's not it's not healthy. I know that now. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm on the other side of that bridge now. And I was taking a thousand-foot view and I'm like, oh, wow, I was so deep in my own shit that I couldn't see. Well, but, and we all are, man. And that's the, that's the human condition, unfortunately. And the, the truth is the reason why these things don't tend to work, like, you know, when you said, um, when I was saying this to her and then it didn't come across that way, it's because at the truth of it, you wanted something else. Like I, I come across a certain way that's different from my intention Mm -hmm. And anytime that ever happens, for the most part, I try and actively be like as much me as possible. But like, oh, here's a good example that's something that's a little bit easier to manage. It's just like that feeling of jealousy when somebody else, or like envious, somebody else is getting something, they do something cool. And my immediate reaction is like, fuck you. Mm. And then I'm like, ah, no, be the bigger person. You're okay. That, and then you walk up to me like, good job. Oh, that's so cool. You, you're doing good things. <laughs> you know, it's just all stilted and fucked and it comes out gross. And you're like, who is that person? Like, what is that fucking voice in my head? Mm-hmm. And then, and then like they hurt themselves or something. Then you look at me, you're like, good. <laughs> <laughs> And it's like, you got to be honest mm, that that's yeah. happening. Yeah. But that it doesn't make you a bad person, but it certainly isn't improving your ability to function properly in the world. And what we tend to do is go, oh, fuck them, you know? And that's not the... that. So you're on the right track, obviously, being like, I own this. I know that this is my fault. And or my feelings, my feelings, my responsibility, all that shit. But the trouble is... You're most of the time are not in control of this shit, and this is a very scary territory to navigate. I'm not game enough to even consider going into that territory. I've attempted this um, last year because I had um, somebody say to me that they weren't interested in committing into a long-term relationship, but they really liked getting to know me and hanging around me. They travel a lot for work, so while they're away traveling for work, would it be upsetting to me if they had sex with people that weren't interested in having a relationship with them? Someone they'd not have a relationship with might be just somebody out at a bar one night. They just have sex with them because they're lonely or whatever. They just want to do it. Um, and then how do I feel about that? And it's kind of like, I understand the nature of this thing. I really like getting to know you too. And I want to deepen this relationship with you. I understand you can't commit to me and that's what you want to do. And because that's what you want to do, then I'm free to do the same on my end. So, all right, let's see how we go. Like, you know, I'll try. But it seemed hedonistic to me. It seemed like that was the setup. It was the more, so I was just thinking in my head, all right, if you and me get closer to each other and we develop a very strong relationship with each other, you need to go and have sex with a girl that you never see again, no big deal. I can deal with that. I can deal with somebody, you know, having meaningless sex with somebody else. I get it. I've done meaningless sex before mm-hmm. and I know it doesn't, they, the only thing that lingers with me is like the shame of it, mm-hmm. not not like the, ooh, that was nice. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I was kind of like, yeah, fucking sweet. Yeah. But um, while that was going on, somebody else 
came up to me and I and it doesn't happen very often, but they kind of like put it out there to me that they were interested in me and I was like, "Oh fuck, like you're a really nice person and I'm attracted to you and all of these things could be really nice, but I have this other situation going on. How do you feel about it?" So just so you know, when he comes back into town every two months or something, that's going to be a thing, but I'd love to get to know you too. What do you think? And he was like, ah, fuck, oh, I've never done this before. Let's try it. And it turned out almost immediately. As soon as I started hanging out with the second guy, it was just so much more fulfilling. He really wanted to spend time with me. It was so easy. He really liked me. And then that my other need for the validation Mm -hmm. from this other person that I'd kind of been... And what I realized later was that I just let him do that because I was in love with him and I didn't want him to leave me. And I knew that if I put my foot down and said, no, you can't have sex with other girls while you're on the road, he'd be like, all right, well, I don't, can't be with you then. Because I knew the answer. He wanted to be with other people. He didn't want to be in a committed relationship. Mm. So I made, I said, all right, fine, you can have sex with other people as long as you still love me. Mm. And really, what I was doing was just holding on to someone who didn't want to be with me. Mm. And I had to fucking realize that. And and it was pretty amazing. As soon as I had someone who did want to be around me and fulfilled me and enjoyed my company and I enjoyed his company, it was like, oh, I don't... Why did I hang out here for this? Why was I waiting for that? Mm. There's no satisfaction in that. There's no inherent satisfaction in it. So... The uh, polyamory, my attempt mm-hmm. at polyamory mm-hmm. stopped immediately. I was like, oh, okay. So I just told the other one that that uh, obviously wasn't working out for me and that this thing was more fulfilling to be with someone on a more personal level. And that, you know, it, it ended. Mm. So, and I don't know how, this is the other thing that I don't understand is that all relationships, when you get up to maybe the two month mark and probably around the six month mark, there's a moment there's little growing pains where you both, it's really exciting at first. And then you could like about the two month mark, you start both getting a little bit comfortable and you start letting your guard down and you start being a little bit more, you know, the gross self that you try to hide from other people. Mm. You're your best version of yourself for the very first honeymoon period. And then that thing kind of fades away at that moment in a polyamorous situation, or in my opinion, where you have the option of having an open relationship, especially in the world of Tinder, What I don't get is that it seems like people that are interested in having open relationships just avoid that yucky moment where you have to kind of realize, like, I've got to climb over this hill and commit to this person. And they avoid that by just going to have sex with somebody else. And maybe that person would take their attention away and they, they might even leave. And you haven't given that person the the proper amount of time to really bridge, like go through that gross period, because they're gonna inevitably do something that kind of grosses you out. And if you've mm-hmm. got an option to have sex with someone else, what stops you from leaving them? Like getting fit, for example, it's really hard to mm-hmm. get fit. And there's a period of time where you start exercising and it feels fucking great and it's awesome. But then your body starts getting tired and you're like, oh, I don't really want to do this anymore. Mm-hmm. 90% of people stop at that moment mm. and they go back to their normal habits. There's this 10% of people that either have a really good trainer or some kind of goal in their mind that they go, nope, I'm going to push past that. They do the hard work and it feels like shit, but they come out of the other side and all of a sudden they lost 10 kilos and they're like, yeah, okay, now you get a second wind and you go forward again. And that's what I feel like happens in monogamous relationships because you get that yucky little period, but both of you in your head are like, no, I did say that I was going to commit to you. I've made a commitment to you. I don't have another option right now. We've said we're going to be together. Let's see this through. You get through that little yucky period, and then all of a sudden you're like, huh, 
Oh yeah, I made it to the other side. You get to a deeper level of connection with them. It'll happen again six months later, and this time is like maybe possibly the time where you're starting to spend more time with each other, living with each other, whatever. And you start getting frustrated. They're annoying. They're fucking. You know, other boys are looking at you because you're in a committed relationship. Isn't that fucked up? Mm-hmm. As soon as you get in a committed relationship, suddenly everybody wants to talk to you. Yeah. And it's like, God damn it. Um, you know, other options start looking good. You meet one person that's like kind of interesting, and then you're like, oh, well, I could. Mm-hmm. And in an open relationship, again. You could go and do that. Mm-hmm. And what's why you, you don't have any incentive to stay with that person and push through the hard times because I feel like it's too easy to deflect your energy. Does well, that make any sense? Yeah, but there's the love component and the pair bonding that happens um, between two lovers when they're within, with each other long enough. That same strength of connection can build up as what the primary partners have the love can be just as intense. Yeah. And so it's a matter of like asking at that point, those yucky points, like how much love do I have for this person and how much commitment do I have? How much am I willing to work on getting through this yucky moment with them? Because what's my intention? What's my vision? What do I want with this person? If it's someone I want in my life for the rest of my life as as a lover, as a you know, a best friend, then you've got to do what you can to work through it, just the same as you would with a monogamous relationship. But I guess that's what I mean is that isn't it easy to, like a railroad tracks, like you know how the railroad track switches over? What I don't understand is like if things get hard with the primary partner, wouldn't you, like this is what I imagine in my head with an open relationship is that things are getting hard with the primary partner. So you just switch the railroad tracks and you go over to the Mm. other person and get your needs met over there. And then Mm. that gets a little bit boring or whatever. And they start getting hard and you go, ah, fuck it. I'll go back to the other person. And that, that seems like a cop out to me. It seems like you're not working through issues. Right. And that's, that can happen. If someone's got a lot of options like that, they can use that in a way that's not going to benefit them and it's not going to benefit anyone in the long run because they're not willing to do the work yeah. that's causing those that um, friction in the first place. So using, using polyamory as a way out of dealing with the issues that are coming up and usually caused by the person who's wanting the out because yeah. everything's our responsibility, like nothing's our fault but everything's our responsibility. Right, yeah. So when they want to switch tracks without actually wanting to work through what it is that caused that in the first place, that can be unhealthy. Yeah, man. But when it's not used that way, when, when it's actually coming from love and wanting to explore the beauty of another relationship, not out of trigger or lack, but How from do you know love, the difference? That comes down to the individual. Fuck. And, but it also takes... Uh, the other person who's involved, if they're committed to maintaining that primary partner's relationships in a healthy way, as I was, I would say 90% of the time, I was committed to making sure that, well, I'll say 80%, so I'm going to be <laughs> honest. I was committed to, 80% of the time I was committed to helping them have a healthy relationship. And yeah. if I felt like... um my lover was coming to me out of um, trigger or out of a place of um, hurt or like not resentment not or unhealthy, yeah, resentment yeah. Um, and just wanting to like scratch an itch, then if I was being in integrity, 
I would say I don't I don't want that right now. Yeah, I don't need to be a part of this. But being honest, it's hard to fucking oh Being God. honest, the 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 more I wanted my lover around me, the less the less I cared why yeah. she was coming to me. Yeah, and that I mean. became very unhealthy in the end and I um I feel a lot of sadness because because it hurts the other it hurts the other lover. Well, it, it hurts, hurts everybody person. involved. It hurts everyone because I'm just playing into that pattern yeah. of hers, you know, the pattern of her wanting to um, run away from her issues and come to me for what's easy Yeah. because I'll say yes because I want her. Yeah. And then putting myself in a disempowering position as well because I'm out of integrity and yet I'm still playing into that whole cycle. Uh. It's just it can get, it can get ugly. Yeah, man, I bet. It sounds like it. That sounds so hard. I don't know, man. And I think, like, some I, there has been some research, and I, don't, I, I shouldn't probably even say this because I don't know the research well enough, but um, there has been some research done that people um, in arranged marriages are happier than people who have the option of divorce. So Western people that are married and have the choice of divorce, they're not particularly religious, they tend to be categorically more unhappy than people who are in arranged marriages that they didn't choose. And the, the psychological underpinnings of why that happens is that when we are acknowledge that we're in a situation that we can't change, we turn to acceptance rather than resistance but when we're in a situation where we have the option to change our choices, we get overcome by the potentiality of something better and constantly weigh up our options and constantly convince ourselves that something out there, imaginary thing out there is going to be better than dealing with the pain that I'm dealing with right now. You know, he doesn't fucking wash the dishes over and over every day. I'm constantly washing the fucking dishes. There will be somebody out there that loves me the same who washes the dishes. And so you get this ideal, you start comparing the ideal to reality and then because you have the option of leaving, you end up leaving or you end up constantly battling with that choice of leaving, and which causes both of you anxiety and depression, constantly threatening to leave whatever. But people in an arranged marriage go, fuck it. Mm. This is all I've got. This is what I've got. I've got to make it work. And it isn't just that they convince themselves that they're happier. In fact, that through the studies that they did, they are categorically happier. Because their their brain it's it's an adaptation. Their mm. brain has to accept. Right. They've burned the bridges. Yeah. Well, there's mm. no other option. Mm. There's no other choice. So I must go forward with this. And and there's something in that too that like, if I know that I'm committed to somebody, no matter how hard it gets, I will find a way to get through it because I'm committed to be there. But as you say, like sometimes if you come up against that wall and it's like, well, somebody else is there that's going to scratch that itch, mm-hmm. that's going to make me feel better. Mm-hmm. It might be even though you don't even realize you're doing it, you might just bounce off of that wall. Yeah. And that's what creeps me out about it. That's what scares me about it is that um, I, I am too aware that our brains don't know why we do with the things we do. We don't know why the fuck we do anything. Mm. It's all past trauma. It's all triggers. It's all that nonsense that goes on inside your head. So you may think you're making a conscious choice, but for the most part, you're being run by some kind of fucking subconscious machine. Mm-hmm. And so then all of a sudden you start making, you take an action that you think is, is oh no, I'm being righteous here. Mm-hmm. I'm doing the right thing. And really at the end of the day, like a lot of times too, and, and forgive me for making an assumption and you can tell me to shut the fuck up <laughs> if it's true, but um, that even saying... 
I want to support your other relationship and I'm completely behind you and I completely care about you is almost, again, another manipulative tactic to make yourself appear more open and free and loving mm-hmm. and than you actually really feel. Because what it is is you're attempting to be mm. the thing that she will leave him for. Mm. Do you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. Yep. And that's fucking... It's so gnarly. It's, it's yeah. so sad that we do that, but it's so... It's a human. Mm. And you're up in a situation where you are literally scratching every painful hurt inside a human being. Right. You're putting yourself in that that's, position. That's where the growth is. I, I bet, mean, Because that, in, that intention of wanting the best for them was also in the context of wanting um, the best that I could get out of the situation. If that meant that I needed to support them to get what I wanted with that relationship, then I would support them, of course. Um, yeah. And that is part of the unhealthy attachment. I was attached to the outcome of being her lover indefinitely, and so I would do whatever I could. Yeah. You know, so there's that. Um, that attachment is, that's, that unhealthy attachment is what I've had to let go of. And that's that's been the absolute hardest, most difficult thing that I've had to do. Letting go of the idea that we're going to be together. Um, Letting go of the idea that she'll be in my life. Yeah. And letting go of um, needing anything from her or wanting anything from her. Yeah. And actually just letting that happen, letting that go, feeling what happens, feeling all of my shadows and my stories and my bullshit and my, my these horrible, nasty, gremlin fucking <laughs> things that come out of me, these sounds, these stories, these yeah. things that I say about her and about them and about the situation. And um, it's just this ugly, horrible um, purging yeah. of all of the nasty parts of my psyche that I've had been carrying around with me. Well, but they're also a natural reaction mm. to a situation like this. And that's it. It's not to say that they're good or bad. It's just that they're a natural reaction mm. and something that you're trying to change in yourself. Yeah. It's a habitual response that you don't want to be the same. Do you think you'll go into another polyamorous relationship out of this? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So you're not well, scared of it. I already am. I still am. I'm, having, I'm yeah. seeing another woman right now as a, as a lover. Yeah. And I still, I would say I'm still polyamorous with... Um, with uh, my ex-lover and um, yeah, the love, the love is still strong, but what that looks like for me now is a bit unknown because there's, I have, I'm still trying to get rid of a bunch of attachment. So and I, I don't know, I don't know what's on the other side of that. It's scary. Yeah. Because fuck. what if I love and I'm not loved back? Oh God. Yeah. And something I've noticed about. Guys who are really successful with polyamory is they're they're able to just give so much love to everyone all the time, as much you know as much as humanly possible. But they're not expecting anything in return. But they get everything in return. Yeah, because they don't want it. I know. <laughs> it's the same. It's this thing. Like I want to be inspirational. I was just thinking about this the other day. I see this happen a lot in the fight world. Everybody who's a fighter, you know, you, people are constantly writing like, "You're an inspiration. You're so inspirational." Yes. And uh, it's a funny thing because when you're being truly inspirational, you don't know that you're being inspirational. You can't like try to do something and be like, "I'm going to inspire people now," because it doesn't work that way. As soon as you say consciously, "This is going to be inspirational," it mm. stops being inspirational. The only times you actually inspire other people is when you are authentically doing something real 
that touches the core of everybody else and they go, whoa, that f- I felt that in my chest and my stomach. Mm. I felt whatever that thing was. As soon as you put a name to it and then try and commodify it and make a mm. book about it, it becomes gross. It's that cheesy, shitty version of that thing. Mm-hmm. And fuck, man, I know. Like hearing just hearing you raw and honest talk about what's going on here, I think it might help people who are weighing up the options of doing something like this might be able to see like, well... There's two sides of this coin. There's the image that you may have about it, and then there's the real, true, scary world of the psyche that you have to get through mm-hmm. on the inside of it. Mm-hmm. Fuck. It's a great journey. <laughs> yeah. It's an amazing journey. Well, and this is what life is, right? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's all it is. It's just this constant unfolding of confusion and chaos and trying to just stay on the track. Yep. <laughs> um. Oh, cool. Well, so um, we talked just a little bit at the beginning about you helping people out, um, men that are trying to figure out how to reconnect to their power. Um, And if people want to find you, how do they do that? Oh, they go to the Eros Method Facebook group. Okay. Or theerosmethod.com, E-R-O-S. Okay. Method. Cool. And and the uh, general rough idea is you're just trying to get people to reconnect to themselves so that they can be the most powerful version of themselves possible. Right. I get them to connect to themselves, clear their shit, and then create the life they want. Yeah, man. Well, and you're living proof. I mean, it takes a lot of confidence to be as raw and fucking painful as all this is. (laughs) It's cool. I mean, honesty, I think, is a superpower. And Mm. I think it's really... um, I think it's very underrated. A lot of people don't realize like how actually healing and powerful it is to just and having a bit of it, it's not it's not even hard to be honest, but for some reason it is. It is very hard to to actually to, like to have the awareness of what you're really thinking and then say it out loud is. Mm, yeah, if, throughout this uh, this podcast I've been watching myself say things and then and then and then yeah you and you call me on it and it's like oh yeah that's right I'm bullshitting myself it's like I'm I'm really trying really hard to talk from truth but then what's my truth sometimes it's story sometimes sometimes it's the bullshit I've been telling myself yeah man and it needs to change well and that's the only way you can help anyone else you know Mm. awesome well thank you very much thank you hello again so that was Adrian Franklin if you want to know any Uh, more about what he does you go to his website erosmethod.com or check him out on instagram facebook the eros method i've got all the links to that in um, on my website and thank you again for listening if you like the podcast like the conversation please send me a message send me a comment like the page whatever subscribe all of those wonderful things. If you really, really like the co- the conversations and you want to keep them going and you'd like to help contribute to me doing some live podcasts, um, have a look at patreon.com forward slash Lorna Bremner. And for the cost of a coffee a month, five bucks a month or so, um, you can help me try to get enough money together to start doing some live podcasts. So that would be neat. Hope you have a great week. Talk to you. Oh, God talkie to you. Talk to you again soon.